All right, everybody. How you doing tonight? You doing good? Good. Did anybody able, was able to get outside and enjoy this weather today? Oh my goodness, it was hilarious. I oh my, thank you. I was driving home from the gym this morning and I saw a guy. He was sitting in his driveway in a lawn chair, just soaking up the sun. Like he he was sleeping. And what was even funnier is I went on a walk like maybe two hours later and I passed his house and he hadn't moved. He was just sitting there. I'm like, I should go check for a pulse or something. I don't know. But he was just like bathing in the sun like a lizard. It was hilarious. Um, but yeah, it was beautiful outside today. Hope you enjoyed it. But I'm pumped up to be here tonight. You know, I get to share this word with you. It's called Joshua. Can everybody say Joshua? Does anybody like the word of God? Anybody love the word of God? Listen, I have been just completely obsessed with the word of God over the last few months um, in a way I had never have really before. And, and, and the Lord's just been doing a lot with me. You know, we've been doing a series uh, through the book of Ephesians out in Cleveland, and that's on you know, our YouTube channel. You can go check that out. But we've been walking through the book of Ephesians, just really diving into the Word and, and dissecting the Word of God. And so we're going to do that a little bit here tonight. We're going to talk about Joshua. And the Hebrew name for Joshua is Yeheshua, and, and that's going to be significant here in a moment. But here's the idea of today's message, tonight's message. What we'll talk about is this. Be a leader that you can rely on. Be a leader that you can rely on. Here's why this is important, because oftentimes in our life, we all have leaders, whether it's parents, whether it's bosses, whether it's, you know, board members, whatever it is, we have people that are leading us. No matter how high up you are, you most likely have somebody who's leading you. And if anybody's lived any amount of life here in this room, we understand that leaders aren't always the best. We can be under some poor leaders, we can be under some great leaders, we can be under some frustrating ones, or whatever the case is. And so many times I hear people just basically blame the leadership of their life for why they're messed up, right? Has anybody heard this? Oh, it's because my parents did this or didn't do this. Or if my boss wasn't a jerk, I wouldn't be this. And we like to kind of look at those above us to, to cast blame, but here's the truth. You are the most important leader in your life. You have to lead yourself well. And you have to adopt this role that says this, I'm taking responsibility of the path and the direction of my own life. I'm not leaving that up to chance. I'm not leaving that up to anybody else. I'm going to be a good leader for myself. So I want you to say this with me tonight. Be a leader you can rely on. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for our time together. We thank you for your presence that is always with us, always changing us and shaping us. And Holy Spirit, we ask in this moment that you would bring the spirit of wisdom and revelation according to your word in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, that you would bring the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we could see you, God, that we would be able to know you. And when we see you, when we know you, God, we would be transformed by you. We didn't come here to sing songs or hear a good message. We came for you, Jesus. And so we ask tonight that you would fill this place, fill this room, and let us know the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In your name I pray. Everyone said? Amen, amen and amen. So we're going to look at a couple different things in the book of Joshua as we're going to go through it. And if you haven't read the book of Joshua, anybody read the book of Joshua before? Awesome. If you haven't, you should. It's, it's a pretty quick read. It'll take you a couple hours, maybe a couple days, depending on how you want to do it. But it's an incredible story of how God has provided for his people. And really, what we have to understand before we look into the book of Joshua to see what we can learn, we have to understand this, that Jesus and Joshua come from the same Hebrew word. Did you know that? 
Jesus is almost short for Joshua in the Hebrew. Put those names up there on the screen so everybody can see it. That is Yehoshua, that's Joshua in Hebrew. And then Yeshua, we just sang it. You know, Layla did a beautiful job leading us in that song, Yeshua. That is essentially the same word in Hebrew. And so what we, what we understand when we look at Joshua, before we try to learn anything about our life, what we have to understand and know about Joshua is that the word is all about him. The word of God is all about Jesus. Did you know that? Not just the Gospels, not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. From Genesis to Revelation, it is all about him. Let me show you this. In the Bible, it says that, that Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness. Remember this? And as Moses led the children of Israel out of bondage into the wilderness, the Lord gave him something very important. It's called the law. He gave them the Ten Commandments. He gave them the do's and don'ts. And then something pretty interesting happened. Moses was unable to deliver the children of Israel into the promised land. Do you remember this story? The children of Israel, they just completely rebelled against God. God was frustrated and said, listen, you will not enter my rest. And it wasn't until the next generation where Joshua came on the scene and he was able to deliver the children of Israel into the promised land. How is this about Jesus? Because the law, what the law is unable to do in your life, in my life, it is unable to have us meet the perfect, the perfect standard that God has set for us. The Bible says in Romans that all have sinned and fallen short. So if we're Moses, right, we have sinned, we're unable to enter into heaven by ourselves. But guess what? Jesus came in the same way Joshua came, where the law failed, Jesus came in the same way Joshua came and delivered us by sacrificing his own life. And he said, listen, you don't have to be good enough because I will be good enough for you. And where the law failed us, Jesus won the victory for us. And now you and I get to be in the promised land, not because of the law, not because of how good you've been, but because we have a high priest. See, that, this is the story of Jesus. This is what Jesus did. Long before Jesus would ever be birthed in a manger, long before he would die on the cross, long before he would raise again, this is a prophetic picture of what Jesus would do for us. The word is all about him. And so every time you open the Bible, you have to find and look for Jesus. Amen? So I wanna, I wanna point out four things to you tonight that I really believe are gonna bless you. I believe it's gonna help you be a better leader of yourself. And we're gonna get into the first one, Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. If you have your Bible, anybody wave your Bible at me. Do you have it? You have your paper Bible? All right, look at all this paper in here. I know my, my stepdad's got a brand new leather bound Bible. Very nice, very nice. You gotta make those good investments. You know, you gotta, you gotta invest in the word of God. So get a, get a nice Bible if you don't have one. But in Exodus chapter 33, you can, you can go there in your Bible or turn there on your phone. Um, the, the word says this in verse 11. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp. But his servant, Joshua, everyone say Joshua. Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. And so we have this, this, this image, this picture, right, where Moses would go into the tabernacle, and if you don't know what the tabernacle is, it's where the Ark of the Covenant was, was held, and, and the Ark represented literally the presence of God. So Moses would go into the presence of God and he would talk to God. He would receive instruction from God. He would, he would commune with him face to face, just like a friend. And then Moses would get up and leave. But, but then the Bible says that Joshua never left the tabernacle. He stayed in the presence of God. And here's what I want us to understand tonight. The best investment you can make for the future is time in his presence. 
please hear this. The best thing that you can do for your future self is to spend time with Jesus. Because look, Joshua, Joshua in this instance, he knew that he was next in line. In Exodus chapter 17, the Bible talks about, we're gonna, we're gonna share a little bit of the story in a moment, but Joshua led the army of Israel against the Amalekites, right? So, so he knew that he was next in line. This wasn't a secret. Joshua was unable to enroll into Church on the North Coast Leadership School. He couldn't do that. He couldn't go to seminary. He couldn't go to Bible college. He didn't have any podcasts to listen to. He had no YouTube videos to watch. All he had was Jesus. All he had was the presence of God. He knew that his future was determined and dependent on the type of person he would one day become. And what he decided to do is spend all his time with Jesus. Can I tell you something, church? The 30 minutes of praise and worship that we just did is not just to waste time until the latecomers file into church. We're not just, we're not just waste, wasting time until you guys get here. You know that? Like, we're not just singing songs because songs are good. When we worship Jesus, when we, when we have this experience with, with the presence of God, that is the best investment that you can make in your future. And here's why. Here's why. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I think it's chapter 3, verse uh, 18, somewhere around there. Um, the, Bible, the Bible says this, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. This is the reality. When we worship God, it changes you, not him. This might paint a better picture. Do you remember the movie The Elf? Anybody see The Elf? You remember that movie? The Christmas movie is so goofy with Will Ferrell. It's hilarious. Anyways, do you remember the scene where, where Santa's flying over Central Park and he crashes because not enough people believe in him? Remember that? And then all of a sudden something happens. A little kid starts singing and everybody's singing. And, and now all of a sudden, because everybody's singing a song, he has enough juice to, to get up in his sleigh and to fly away. Do you know that Jesus is not so excited that we come to church on Sundays and sing songs because now he finally has enough juice because his people believe in him? When we sing songs, when we praise him, when we spend time in his presence, that doesn't do anything for Jesus. That doesn't bolster his confidence. That doesn't make him more of a king or more of a Lord. It's not for him. So when you and I spend time in his presence, if it's not for him, who's it for? It's for you, because when you spend time with Jesus, you are changed. You are transformed. That means this. If you want to be a better husband, guys, listen, you don't need necessarily, this is the first step, right? I'm not downing like marriage counseling and, and this amazing marriage conference that's going to happen. I'm not downplaying that. But what I'm saying is your first step is to spend time with Jesus. If you want to be a, be a better mother, a better employee, if you want to improve your life in any area, the first thing that you need to do is understand that I need to get in the presence of Jesus. Because when I'm in his presence, he changes my heart. He molds me. He shapes me. He gives me his heart. And I become better because of him. This is what Joshua understood. He understood, I don't need to go out and try to figure out how to be a good leader. I just need to be, get really close to the best leader. I need to spend time with the greatest leader. And church, if you, would, if you really want to improve your life, this is what we have to understand. The first thing you need to do, spend time with Jesus. Don't, don't sit there and think, oh, that's just a waste of time. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to pray. I don't have, to have time to do these things. Like, yes, you do. And you need to do them if you want to improve your life because when you are in his presence, he changes you. 
That's the first thing that we learn from Joshua. Here's the second thing, and it's found in Joshua chapter 7, uh, verses 3 through 5. Um, we're gonna, we're gonna, I want to give you a little context here um, while we go over this. But this second thing, Joshua, this is after Joshua defeats the city of Jericho. Remember the story of Jericho? Joshua walks around the walls, and then they all shout, and the walls came tumbling down. I remember uh, this, this story was depicted in Veggie Tales. And this is where I learned about Jericho. And I remember that the story went a little bit differently than what I just read in my Bible. And the peas on top of the wall were throwing slushies down. And, and, you know, it was just very, very not biblically accurate, you know. But it's a kid's show, so it's okay. But that's Jericho, right? And so the next thing that Joshua went on to was this little city called Ai. Now, what we have to understand about Ai was that if you had Jericho here and you had Ai here and you were a commander or you had an army and you said, which one do I want to go to war with? You're going to 10 out of 10 times pick Ai because Ai was significantly less populated than Jericho. It had significantly less defenses. Jericho was a huge thick wall with incredible defenses. This was not a city that you just messed around with, right? This was a a very significant fortified city. Ai was the complete opposite. It was small, insignificant, didn't have a lot of people there. And so the Lord told Joshua, first take out Jericho, now move on to Ai, right? And so what Joshua does is he sends spies into Ai the same way he did Jericho. And, and then this is where we pick it up in verse 3. It says this, that they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. Here's the crucial mistake that Joshua made. He listened to they and not the Lord. He listened to them and not what the Lord had to say. And how often do we do that in our life? We allow our friends, families, teachers, leaders, whoever is in our life to give us insight, but we don't even consider the Lord. We don't even make him aware of of what we're trying to do. We don't even go to him and say, God, could this possibly be the direction and the path that you want me to take? Joshua didn't do that. Verse five, it says this, and the men of Ai struck down about 36 men for for they chased them from before the gates as far as Shabiram and struck them down on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. This is what Joshua didn't understand because he didn't ask the Lord. The Lord told Joshua that when they defeated Jericho, that they weren't allowed to take any of the idols. They can take the cattle and all the good stuff, but don't take any of the idols. There were pagan idols there. And what happened was there was a man in the Israelite camp who took an idol, hid it, and the Lord was trying to address the significant sin and issue in the children of Israel's camp, and Joshua wasn't even aware of it. And because he didn't go to the Lord and ask him, he suffered defeat and loss at the hand of a much more insignificant enemy than Jericho. Okay, now stick with me because this, is, this came off the heels of victory. Here's the next thing that we see. We're gonna jump to Joshua chapter nine for a second. The Joshua chapter nine, we see that it's after the battle of Ai. So, so you know, Joshua does it right. He goes back, he fixes things, and they eventually defeat Ai. This comes after, right after their defeat a lot of the surrounding Canaanite nations, cities, began to take notice of what the Israelites were doing. And this specific tribe called the Gibeonites, they decided that they were going to play a trick on Joshua. 
They said, you know what, let's dress up in our, our ragged clothes. We'll, we'll bring old bread and old wine and we'll pretend like we're from this far away land, this far country. And we're gonna go to Joshua and we're gonna try to make him make a covenant with us so that we would be protected. Then it says this, after the Gibeonites came and, and spoke to him, it says this in, in Joshua chapter nine, verse 14. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. Here we see Joshua make another mistake. He did not ask counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with the enemy and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. This is what I want us to see and understand. The mistake with Ai came off the heels of victory at Jericho. The mistake with the Gibeonites came off the heels of victory against Ai. As Christians, sometimes we get too comfortable after we have a victory in our life and we pretend like we don't need God anymore. Once, God, once our life starts coming together and our bank account is a little puffed up and, and we're having some good days at work and our kids are well behaved and our marriage is doing great and when life is seemingly going perfect, we, say, we forget about God. And we continue to live our life and we say, man, I must know some stuff, right? I must, I must have this thing figured out. I don't really need to consult the Lord anymore. My life's going great. And just like Joshua, on the heels of victory, we neglect the Lord and we fall flat on our face. We fall flat on our face. Here's what we have to understand as Christians. We need to find the line between confidence and dependence. This is where we should live as Christians. We should live between confidence and dependence. That says this, I know the promises of the Lord. I know what he's called me to. I know the gifts he's given me. I know my assignment. I'm confident in who I am in Christ, but I'm also aware that I'm completely 100% dependent on him. That if it wasn't for Jesus, I wouldn't have another breath in my lungs. He's the one who woke me up this morning. He's the one that holds all things together by the power of his word. We do not exist if it wasn't for him. And so when we understand this, and I'm confident in who I am, but I'm a completely dependent on Jesus. That's the, that's the tension that we have to live in as Christians. We can't allow our heads to get so big to think that we figured it out, that we know some stuff, that we've got the answers, right? Because Joshua did that not once but twice, and he lost men. Just to give you a brief picture, years later, years later, this comes at the end of the book of Judges, right? So this is years after Joshua. The Gibeonites, the same people that made this covenant with Joshua, the Gibeonites end up devastating the children of Israel by, by, by basically doing this very horrid thing. You can go read it, this very terrible thing. The tribe of Benjamin goes to war against the rest of the tribe of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin is almost completely wiped off of the, off of the face of the earth. Why? Because Joshua thought he knew better. Because Joshua thought he had, he had it figured out. Church, this is, this is the line that we have to walk. I'm confident in who I am. But Jesus, I know better. I know that if it wasn't for you, if it wasn't for you, Jesus, I should be in the grave. I should be addicted. I should be sick. I should be all of this stuff. Jesus, I know I'm blessed and highly favored and all this stuff. But Jesus, I'm not so arrogant to think that I've had anything to do with it. It is all because of you. It's where we have to live. Here's a third thing I want to share with you tonight. Joshua chapter 8, verse 26. The Bible says this, this, now we're jumping back to the story of AI, right? So I wanna set up this little story because it's really incredible. 
Joshua makes a mistake, remember we read that. He just sends a, a few guys up to Ai. They end up get def- being defeated and they come back and Joshua then, now that he's been defeated, goes to the Lord and says, Lord, what's going on here? And he reveals that there is a pagan idol in the camp. Joshua goes and removes the idol, deals with the sin. And then the Lord gives him instruction. Okay, now I want you to go up against Ai. And this is what happened. Joshua sets up this really cool strategy, right, where he sends the same few men up to the gates and pretends like they're just going to attack the same way. But he takes the rest of the army and goes behind the city in an ambush. And then the men of Israel flee before the men of Ai like they did the first time. And then when the men of Ai start chasing them, Joshua and the rest of the army come out and sandwich them. And the children of the Lord defeat their enemy. But this is the cue, right? This is what Joshua did to signal the ambush. It says this in verse 26, For Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. So this was the cue. This was the signal. The children of Israel fled before the enemy and Joshua stood up and he extended his spear and that let the whole army know that the ambush was on. And Joshua stood like this until all the enemies were defeated. This is significant. This was really important because this wasn't the first time Joshua has seen something like this. And this, this is where I think is the biggest disconnect between the biblical definition of obedience and the American definition of obedience. And this is what I want us to return to as a church, the biblical rooted, grounded in the word of God, obedience unto the Lord. What does obedience unto the Lord look like? It looks like this. When he tells you to extend your spear, you do this and you don't move it until it's done. You don't just go like this. Okay, God, I extended my spear. That's not obedience. Joshua remembers this, right? In this moment, Joshua, I I believe, obviously this isn't the Bible, but I'm sure Joshua recalls this moment. It's back in Exodus 17, and we talked about it briefly, where Joshua was leading the army of Israel against the Amalekites, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur were on the top of the mountain. Remember this story? The Bible tells us that when Moses lifted his hands, what happened? There was victory, right? And then he got tired and he started to put his hands down. When he put his hands down, they started losing the battle. So Joshua remembers the moment where he looked up and he saw Aaron and Hur on the sides of Moses positioning his hands up because he was so weary, but he was determined to obey the Lord until Joshua had complete victory. Joshua understood that obedience isn't just doing something once, but it's doing it until the job is done. Here's what, I have, what we have to understand. Obedience stops when the battle is won, not after the first kill. Obedience unto the Lord ends when you've won, not after you've done it once. There's a story in the Bible. Well, let, let, me, let me say this first. Has anybody played Simon Says? Do you remember that game? Right? Do you guys want to play Simon Says? I'm just kidding. We're not going to play Simon Says. But I, one of the things that I really didn't like about Simon Says was because if you did like, if you said, hey, Simon Says to jump up and down, right? If you did this, you lost. Why? Because Simon didn't say stop. And so if Simon told you to jump up and down, you keep jumping up and down until Simon says what? Stop. This is what, I know it's so silly, this is what obedience unto the Lord looks like. When the Lord says to move, you don't just take a step and say, okay, Lord, now what? No, you keep moving until he says, 
Stop, right? Obedience unto the Lord looks like receiving a word from the Lord and continuing in that word until two, one of two things happen. You either receive victory or he changes your direction. Let me show you what a failed attempt at this looks like. It's in 2 Kings chapter 13, and it's a story between King Joash and Elisha. I'm sure you remember this story, but King Joash comes to Elisha and he says, listen, Elisha, the Syrians are after us. I need your help. Elisha says, listen, get your bow, get your arrow, open the east window and shoot an arrow out. And he does it. He says, okay. And Elisha said, that is the arrow of the deliverance of the Lord. Then he says this, okay, Joash, I want you to pick up some arrows and I want you to strike the ground. Do you remember this story? Joash strikes the ground one, two, three times and he stands up and he says, okay, now what? And the Bible says that the man of God, Elisha, was furious at Joash because he stopped striking the ground. Elisha says, listen, Joash, if you would have struck the ground six, five or six times, you would have complete, complete victory over the Syrians. But because you only struck the ground three times, you will have partial victory over the enemy. Obedience unto the Lord doesn't just look like taking one step and then stopping. It looks like, okay, Lord, I, you've called me to do this. No matter what adversity I, I, I hit, no matter how inconvenient or uncomfortable this can be, I'm going to continue until I either see a victory or you tell me to do something different. Like, like here, here's a more practical example that, that you might be able to understand. If the Lord has called you to, to start a business, say, hey, I want you to do this business. I want you to start this thing. And you start it, and three months down the road, you're, 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 you're coming against such opposition, and you don't have any money, and you can't figure things out, and you throw in the towel, and you say, because this is hard, it's not from God. Because this is difficult, it's not from him. Obviously, it's not from him. I'm done. That's not what obedience looks like. Like, we, we measure our obedience based on the results that we see. And we say, okay, God, I'm gonna be obedient, and if I see results, I know it's from you, but if I don't see any results, then, then it's not from you and I'm gonna quit. That's not what God, that's not the definition of success from God. God, all he wants you to do is listen. He just wants you to listen. He just wants you to be obedient to him. And the, the, whether or not you are obedient to him is the definition of success. It is the defining factor of your success. If you're obedient until the point of death and you continue to be obedient and you don't even see any fruit in your lifetime, guess what? That is success in God's eyes because you don't know. Maybe God is setting up the next generation or the third or the fourth generation down the line to reap the fruit of your obedience. You're, you might not even see the fruit of your obedience. But just because you didn't give up, just because you kept striking the ground, you extended your spear, you kept your hand raised, you didn't throw in the towel, you were obedient unto the Lord, you don't know what he has for you. You don't know what he has for your children, your great-grandchildren, all, all the way down the line. Because God, God is so, he's, he's so not, man, I want to say this very gently, he's so not concerned with your success. He's so not concerned with how much money you have in your bank. Like he's, 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 he's so not concerned with these things and, and this is the problem that the church has gotten into. We've preached this, this prosperity gospel that says this, you can measure the blessing of God on your life by how much money you have or you can measure the blessing of God in your life based on how well your, your, your family's doing or how, how successful things are. That is, that is not true. That's not true. You can measure the blessing of God, the success of your life based on your level of obedience. If you're obedient unto the Lord, you can stand there and say, I am successful. 
Because this is what Jesus is gonna say to those when, when you stand before him in the last day. He's gonna say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You obeyed me. <laughs> you listened well. I asked you to do something and you didn't, you didn't get deterred by the enemy. You didn't get deterred by how inconvenient it was. You didn't throw in the towel. You were a good and faithful servant. Success. Boom. If you wanna have success, be obedient. Be obedient unto him. Here's the last thing I want to show you here in Joshua chapter 24. This is Joshua's farewell address. He is on his deathbed. He's ready to move on. The children of Israel have inherited the land. They're settled mainly, not totally, but most of them are settled. And Joshua gives his farewell address to the children of Israel. This is what he says in verse 23. Now, therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. I want to pause there for a moment because I want to acknowledge what that statement means. They responded to Joshua and said, we desire the Lord. We want to be obedient to him. We want to follow him. We want to serve him. To put it into context for our day, this would be kind of like the altar call. At the end of the message, hey, does anybody want to give their life to Jesus? I do. I want to serve the Lord. I, I want to follow him all my days. I want to give my life to him. Come on, let's do it. Does anybody want to follow Jesus in this room? Always, right? So this is kind of like, if you raise your hand, this is us, right? This is, this is what we're saying to Joshua. We're saying, listen, I want to obey the Lord. I want to follow him. So immediately, immediately after this declaration of love and, and pursuit of the Lord, this is what Joshua says. This is so important. Watch this. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. Right on the heels of their proclamation of surrender to the Lord, Joshua sets up rules and regulations. <laughs> he, he sets up guidelines and ordinances and he, and he, he structures their love. I think in the church, what we've done is we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater and we have gotten rid of all discipline and we've called it legalism. And we've said, we've said I can't plan to read my Bible. I can't set aside time to pray because that's legalistic and that's religion and that's disgusting. But here's the truth. The same people that would make that argument don't even believe that. You don't even really live that out in your life because here's the truth. You make plans to go out with your wife on a Friday night and you schedule it in your calendar. You put a time on it. You put a date on it. You put a location on there and you say, hey, on this day, this time, at this place, we're gonna go, we're gonna eat dinner together and we're, you're gonna like it. We're gonna get closer. Right? Is that legalism in your marriage? No, that's a good marriage. <laughs> like, that's being intentional, right? That's, that's healthy. Wait, you don't even believe that with your kids. Like, my, my family and I, we just got back from Florida. We took my, my daughter and, and, and my, my two boys and, and my, my nieces and nephew. Our whole family went down to Disney World, and we spent a day. That took months of planning. It was really getting to the point where I was annoyed. It was our group chat was just blowing up. It was like, what are we going to do about cars? What are we going to do about food? What are we going to do about this? I'm like, I don't care. Let's just go figure it out when we get there, right? I just don't like that stuff. But, but that takes a lot of planning. Is that legalism? No, that's, that's being good with your kids, right? So, so this idea that we can't 
hold ourselves or structure ourselves around these spiritual disciplines that, that really ultimately protect our love for Jesus and we, we call discipline legalism, it's just not the case and it's not true. If you, if you sit there and say, I wanna set aside 30 minutes every day to pray, that's not being legalistic. That is a really, really great thing to do. That is an incredible discipline that is not going to make you a religious person, but it is going to protect the love that you have for the Lord. This is why Joshua did this. He said, listen, if you want to obey the Lord, you want to pursue him with all your heart, this is what you have to do. You have to structure your life. And he sets up rules and regulations, not, not to put them in bondage, but to protect the love that they have for the Lord. And this is what we see. The Bible says that as soon as Joshua dies, as soon as the elders that were with Joshua died, the children of Israel broke the structure that Joshua set up and ultimately their hearts were turned from the Lord. I will go as far to say this. You can't truly have a, a passionate love for Jesus without discipline. You can't do it. You can't sit here and say, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, but I never set aside time to read my Bible. It, it, just, it just doesn't make sense. If you say, man, I love Jesus, I want to obey Jesus, but you, you don't even set aside time to pray or, or come to church on Sundays and worship or you don't have these structures in your life, then I would argue that you really don't love Jesus as much as you did because if you loved him, you would do anything to protect the love that you have for him. I can't say I love my wife and then never be intentional about spending time with her. I can't say I love my kids but never be intentional about spending time with them. That intentionality, that discipline that says this, every day we're gonna work on our marriage. Every day I'm gonna say I love you to my kids. Every single day I'm gonna do these things regardless of how I feel, regardless if it's convenient. Every single day I'm going to practice these disciplines to, to protect the love that I have for the people in my life and the Lord. This is what Joshua did, discipline, protects your love for the Lord. And so for myself, I have thrown the baby out with the bathwater and I have lived my life as this like, just, yeah, we're just gonna love Jesus and not have any rules. And it's like, that's just really hard to do. And over the recent months, I have really embraced the spiritual disciplines that protect my love for Jesus. Now, don't get it twisted. I'm not saying you have to start beating yourself up and, and doing all these crazy things. This isn't a dead religion. What you have to understand is that these disciplines, like, like think of it this way, the disciplines serve you. You don't serve the disciplines, right? Like the discipline doesn't control your life. This is what Jesus said. Man was made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath wasn't made for man. No, the other way. The Sabbath was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath, right? It's, it's this idea that we discipline ourselves, not in order to get to heaven or in order to just follow these disciplines. The disciplines are created for us to enjoy a deeper relationship with the Lord. Like if you, you want to know Jesus, does anybody want to know Jesus in here? I don't have my Bible, it's over there, but, but there's a whole book about who he is. Like this week, schedule time. Uh, one of my friends read through the whole Bible in a week. Like that's pretty insane, that's a lot of reading. And I don't know if I would be able to do that. But it'll only, if you read three chapters a day, you'll read the whole Bible in a year. That's, that's pretty good. And if you stick with your disciplines and you say, you know what, Jesus, this is how much I love you. I'm gonna wake up like 30 minutes earlier and I'm gonna be in my word because I just wanna know you. I just desire to know who you are. These disciplines protect and promote love in our life. So if you would, stand up with me tonight as we close. As we close this evening, I want you, I want you to remember to be a leader that you can rely on. 
be a leader that you can rely on. The best investment you can make for your future is time in the presence of the Lord. Most important thing you can do with your life. It is why you were created. You were created not to build a great life here. You were not just created just to have family, friends, money, success, all that stuff. That's not the purpose of your creation. You were created to be with him. Number one priority, to be with Jesus. When you know him, you know yourself. When you know him, you know your purpose. When you know him, you know your calling, your destiny. When you know him, life becomes a little bit easier. Right? Pastor Louis shared that verse with us in Matthew just a few moments ago. He says, listen, come to me, all those who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. This is the purpose of our existence is to be in unity with Jesus. And as Christians, let's find this, this line of confidence and dependency. Let's walk it really well. Let's say, God, I'm confident in who I am, but I know that I would not have another breath of oxygen in my lungs if it wasn't for you. Let's be obedient unto the Lord. Remember, this is something I'm so passionate about right now. Like, Okay, I'll just say this. Try your best to be obedient without an explanation. That's really hard. I had a conversation with my daughter a few weeks ago, and she wasn't listening like, you know, five-year-olds do from time to time. They don't listen. And I said, she is six, but she was five at the time. Um, I said, Riley, listen, I need you to obey me even if I don't tell you why, right? Does any, any of your parents love that, that question? Why, why, why? It's the worst, Oh. But even if I don't have the time to tell you why and explain to you, I need you to obey me because this could be a life or death situation. Not all the time, not all the time. 99% of the time it's not. But the 1% where you're running in the street and I see a car coming and I yell stop, I don't have time to explain why I need you to stop. You just have to listen. I feel like we've gotten away from, from that as Christians and when the Lord speaks, we immediately need, to, need him to explain himself. Okay, God, you want me to do this? Well, tell me why. Tell me how this is gonna bless me. You want me to give my tithe and offering? Tell me why this is gonna bless me. Tell me why I should listen to you. Tell me why I should do this. And the audacity that we have, the, the, the created thing, to question the creator, the one who spoke stars into existence and you know, breathed life into your lungs, the audacity we have to question the creator is blows my mind. We have to get back to this, God, you said something? Yes. Yes. You don't even have to explain yourself. Yes. I don't have to, I don't have to know all the details. Yes, God, I will obey you. It's this ultimate trust in who the Lord is. And then finally, we have to get back to these spiritual disciplines. I'm not talking about legalism, but I'm talking about these everyday things that we do to make sure that at the end of the days, our passion, our fire, our love for the Lord is, is, is increasing. It's not decreasing. Man, I know too many Christians who their love for God has been decreasing over the last 50 years. It's like, no, 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 you shouldn't end up as a mean, angry Christian. You should end up more and more and more and more in love with Jesus. How do you do that? Disciplines. Read your Bible and pray every day and you grow, grow, grow. It's the best song in the world. It's easy. Remember that song? Read your Bible, pray every day, and you grow, grow, grow. That's it. Life is easy, right? It's awesome. Let's do this. Let's bow your head with me if you don't mind. Holy Spirit, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for your word.
we thank you for the prophetic picture of Joshua that you gave us in your Bible, the Word God, where we can dissect the Word of God, we can look into it, and we can see, Jesus, how ultimately you were Joshua for us. You broke through our sin, you broke through our failure, and you became our answer. You died on the cross and you brought us into the promised land. And we're forever grateful, God. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would continue to mold us and shape us as we commit and dedicate time to be in your presence. We ask that that, that verse in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 would just come to life, that we would look like you more and more and more, God. We would be transformed into your image. Help us to be completely dependent on you, Jesus, and help us to be obedient to your word. The same way Abraham was obedient when he, When you told him, I want you to sacrifice your only son, he woke up early in the morning to obey without any explanation. God, would we be as obedient as Abraham? As humble, as filled with the fear of the Lord so that we wouldn't have any stance for questioning the creator, but we would obey quickly and completely. Holy Spirit, right now, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, speak to our minds. I pray that you would help establish disciplines in our life, boundaries, rules, regulations, not legalism, God, but Holy Spirit, would you in this moment teach us how to protect our love for you? Just as the children of Israel said to Joshua in that day, we want to serve the Lord. We want to follow the Lord. That's our heart's cry tonight. We want to serve you, God. We want to follow you. We want to obey you, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, would you help us structure our life to look like obedience unto the Lord. We love you and bless you. In your name I pray. Come on, everybody said tonight. Amen, amen. You know, as we conclude, I'm gonna ask some of the altar ministers or, or pastors, leaders here to come to the front. And as I dismiss, I wanna give you, wanna ask you two questions. The first thing is I have a rule that, that I like to implement as a pastor. It's okay if you're struggling. It's okay if you're hurting. It's okay if you're, you know, you're, you're, you're going through a difficult situation. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you've got some, some issues going on in your life. That's okay. The only thing is you can't do it by yourself. That's my rule, Okay. You're allowed to struggle, you're allowed to fight, but you're not allowed to do it alone. So if you're here tonight and you find yourself in a fight, you find yourself believing for a miracle, believing for healing, whatever it is, we're all going through things. Remember, the only rule is you can't do it by yourself. So we wanna pray with you, we wanna contend with you, we wanna believe with you because there's power when two or three come together, amen? Here's the second thing I wanna ask. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, if you've never surrendered your life to him, I wanna give you that opportunity tonight. The same way Joshua made that petition to the children of Israel and said, hey, listen, are you going to follow the Lord? Are you going to serve him? And you're saying tonight, I want to serve the Lord. I want to give everything to him. All I want you to do, we're not going to raise our hands. We're not going to do anything like that tonight. All I want you to do is come forward before you leave. And one of these incredible men or women are going to pray with you. They're going to they're gonna help you to set up those disciplines so that you can protect the love, the desire to follow the Lord that you have in your heart. Amen. Well, it was a pleasure to be with you tonight. I love you all so much. Remember to live right, love everyone, pray hard, and we'll see you next time.